Hello, I'm Jonathan Mast, and welcome to this edition of the Cedric Podcast. As you know, public entities are in a unique position as policyholders with a vast saturation in a relatively tight geographic market. Recognizing the larger socio-political and financial impact of loss to P&Es, even finite events can yield devastating efforts. I've got two great guests today, Jody and Meredith, who will give more details in just a second, who are going to enlighten everyone that is listening and get more details on what this all means. So, Jody, you've got a great track record in the industry. Uh, why don't you give us a little background on your experience, and then uh, we'll jump over to Meredith, and you guys can uh, go back and forth with some questions for our audience to listen to. Thank you, Jonathan. I'm Jody Moses, the Managing Director of Sedgwick's Public Entity Business, and I started my career over 30 years ago handling workers' compensation claims for public entities and have always been envious of what our property colleagues do for our governmental agencies and in awe of the work that they do day in, day out in, in helping manage public entity property risks and claims. And I'm so thrilled to be joined by my colleague at Sedgwick, Meredith. Meredith, if you can go ahead and introduce yourself. Sure. My name is Meredith Campbell. I'm the Executive General Adjuster for Sedgwick's Property Americas Group out of Las Vegas, Nevada. I started my career about 16 years ago back east and of just before the uh, pandemic had the opportunity to go ahead and expand further out west, taking the chance. I've had the opportunity to live in almost all 50 states doing this job at some form of another and down even in the Caribbean. I've had the chance to work with the public sector group for ooh, the last couple of years. took me a little bit of time to go ahead and find my home, but I was very surprised when I did, considering I studied political science in school. Shocked that it took me as long as it did to go ahead and marry the two with my career and my education. Well, we are thrilled to have you as part of our public entity practice and business. So I have some questions for you, Meredith, uh, and uh, they're all set on the foundation that uh, public entity governmental agencies are one of the largest property owners and managers in the, in the United States and therefore have a tremendous amount of exposure with respect to property hazards. And so we know that we can't collectively eliminate every single property hazard. But how can a disaster be kept from turning into a nightmare? So the key to go ahead and presenting any kind of disastrous outcome is going to rely almost exclusively on your level and your intensity of preparation. Yeah, you can be lucky from time to time and kind of skirt by, but one of the things I've learned from living in Vegas for the last couple of years is that the house always wins. It will eventually catch up to you if you fail to prepare. So nearly every public entity has some form of a, of a natural disaster plan. Um, they may not have taken it off the shelf in a while. They may not have had some more major disaster. Um, but what do you recommend they do to help maintain a level of service to make sure that they can deliver services to the public sector in the event of a natural disaster? Sure. So I don't know about you, Jody and Jonathan, but I am actually a huge Parks and Rec fan. And Every time I get asked a question along this line, I think of this one episode in which the state comes in and tries to throw a disaster at the town of Pawnee. And Leslie is prepared for every single scenario that you can possibly imagine. It's TV. I don't expect public entities to prepare for every single disaster that may 
possibly sort of come across their desks one day. However, what people need to do is they need to focus on what are the most likely things that are going to happen in their respective area. If you're along the coast, are you really that worried about your winter freezes? No. You're much more concerned about your tornado situations and your hurricanes. Figure out what it is that you're most likely to be hit with and prepare for those. Because if you've prepared for the most likely, you can take those items and translate that to your lesser likely scenarios. But the first thing that someone's going to have to do in any kind of preparation scenario is to plan for what services they're going to go ahead and continue. What are your most critical services to maintain after a disaster? Now, I realize that what might be considered critical to a public entity today when nothing's wrong may be vastly different than after a tornado, than after a wildfire. Sit down and brainstorm with your team as to what those might be. The answer may be surprising. You want to set realistic expectations, both outward and inward. I don't expect that everyone who's going to eventually deal with a disaster is a disaster expert, nor are they a disaster policy expert. But this is not the time to overpromise and underdeliver, both internally and to the public that you serve. Take the time to realize that each of us impacts and relates to disasters differently. Not every one of the constituents is going to have a massive, massive trauma associated with any kind of disaster. Some people are going to be hit lesser than others. And not everyone has that emotional empathy to be able to deal with the fact that their neighbors, their friends, their colleagues are going something that they may only be peripherally issued with. Recognize that there will be those people that are still expecting everything to run like clockwork. Set the expectation outwardly that it's not going to happen. Having the public well aware of what you can tend to go ahead and continue to provide to them and the timeframes in which you can expect to start to bring other services back is going to be vital. Internally, identify the strengths of your team. Some people are better in disasters than others. Look to see who are the outside stakeholders that will become part of your internal team. Is that reaching out to, say, the state, the federal government, NGOs? How are you going to work within your internal team that may not look like the internal team that you've got sitting in front of you today? Don't hesitate to bring them to the table. Don't hesitate to have these conversations. I hopped on a flight at 6 o'clock this morning, the Monday after Thanksgiving, because I want to go and sit and have a conversation tomorrow with somebody who's taking the time to prepare for their disasters. Happy to do it. Now, a key component of that, Jody, is actually going to be translating this to the public. You have to communicate to them what it is that you plan on doing. Because if you're not going to provide it as a public entity, they're going to look for it elsewhere. So in addition to to not preparing, the consequences of not communicating externally the services, what are the other consequences of foregoing preparation? If, they, if you just haven't planned for that wildfire and you're in California, wildfire country, what are the consequences of not having that preparation? Sure. Well, besides everyone running around like a chicken with their head cut off, which is, as we know, so <laughs> successful yeah. in all different circumstances, <laughs> From an insurance perspective, 
the public entity could be looking to leave a lot of money on the table and look to give themselves a lot of headache. Essentially, if you don't have a, pr a plan with your internal and your external team, solid, signed, sealed, delivered, with communication outward to everybody, you run the risk of getting yourself into the position where internally your team has no idea what to do. There's no duplicative systems in the event someone suddenly loses their house and needs to relocate outside the market. You also have no protection in the event you file a massive insurance claim. How many people do you think as a property adjuster specialized in large public entity? Not many. So if you don't go ahead and plan to work with somebody, identify somebody who handles large-scale property for public entity, you run the risk of being just put into a queue at any company. What are you going to get? Wow. You have no and idea. When you're trying to deliver services, when you're trying to deliver services to taxpayers who rely on those services, not having a solution and not knowing what to do is not an answer. <laughs> exactly. Um, right? Exactly. Right. So you may end up with somebody so, who just happens to be the most geographically close as an adjuster. They could be a six-month homeowner's adjuster. That's oh. not the appropriate person to be handling your public entity claim. But based on a geographic search, they might be the person that's plugged into the zip code, which then hopefully they recognize that they're not the appropriate person. Then that takes the time bringing that to management's attention, finding somebody who is more appropriate. That's all lost days. That's lost hours. That's people getting angry, standing in line, waiting for water, for food, for ice after any kind of disaster. Whereas with proper planning, you can identify somebody well before anything hits, months, even years ahead of time, working on establishing the relationship of an adjuster and a public entity, getting them to know you and you to know them. So that way, when something happens, all of your systems are in place and can start to work like clockwork. Things aren't perfect after a disaster. They never will be. But getting them as close to perfect as possible is your goal. And Meredith, what I've learned from you is that when you do have that relationship established pre-disaster, pre-loss, with a with an adjuster who gets to know them. Not only that, you also know the reinsurance, the insurance carriers, and you can help keep everybody aligned when disaster hits. So the biggest challenge that you'll run into, regardless of how much you choose to prepare, is the game of telephone. We all remember that from yeah. when we were kids. The game of telephone exists, except now instead of picking a, a simple phrase and watching it go around the room, you're taking vital information, information that impacts real dollars, real people's lives, and it's going through 10, 15, 30 hands. Whereas if you know the person you're dealing with, you pick up the phone and you say, hey, Mayor, we've got this going on. You're going to hear an answer coming out of my mouth, and that's going to come directly from me to you, and you're going to know that I've heard you and I've understood you. Selecting a key component of any disaster preparation is putting in place your broker and adjuster team. It also means picking somebody internally to go ahead and act effectively as your insurance spokesperson. All communications should flow to and from them. Eliminates the game of telephone. I do remember that game, and it never ends well. <laughs> so. 
No, and when you're talking multi, multi millions of dollars, it gets even worse. Right? It's no kid's game, not anymore, no. <laughs> so, Meredith, if a response plan wasn't put in place initially, say, say a response plan was put in place for the known perils and disasters that you face, but something happens that was just completely un, 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 unplanned for, what are some last-minute steps that public entities can take to make sure they mitigate the damage and keep employees safe and citizens? Sure. So the biggest key is to focus only on the problem in front of you. While I talk about planning in the abstract, we can pick any one of 10, 20, 30 disasters that may happen over the course of our lifetimes. But if you've got something barreling down at you, forget all the noise. Focus exclusively on what you've got going on. Look at this event as a microcosm of all of the planning that I've mentioned before. Identify who is going to be running the show. Now, like I just said, that game of telephone is going to be vital to avoid. Pick a person. Pick a person to actually be running your reconstruction. Pick all of your key points of contact. And then do yourself a favor. Have somebody get a second job on top of that. Because if somebody's house burns to the ground, if there's a tree through it, they're not going to be caring as much about dealing with the public entity as they are their own trees smack dab through the little of their living room. Having a redundancy system will save a lot of headache down the back end. You definitely want to be better safe than sorry when it comes to the safety of you, your staff, and the public that you serve. Don't go into any buildings that look unsafe. Be sure that you avoid touching and drinking any standing water. You want to be sure that you don't overextend yourself physically between all of the issues of heat stroke that you may run into, heart attacks, just overall exhaustion. I don't mean tiredness. I mean true exhaustion. And the most important thing that people tend to forget about is the power of power. Turn off any unnecessary electricity before something happens. It doesn't glow bright white when it tells you it's hot. You don't want to be the one to find out the wrong way. Sorry, outside of those simple things, it's really getting down to the finite of even if you don't have an account adjuster or somebody selected with that long-standing relationship that we were just talking about, you do know your broker. And if you don't know your broker, you know your local agent. Get on the phone with them. They can become your best ally because while you're busy handing out water and food and maintaining the shoestring of services that you know your public entity can maintain, it's your agent, it's your broker's job to go ahead and focus on your insurance claim and getting you back to where you need to be. They can be your best advocate and your best friend while you're busy doing your job. And and that brings up a great point, Meredith, is so often the person responsible for preparing for a disaster at a public entity or responsible for risk management didn't get a degree in risk management and wasn't actually didn't sign up or, or interview for the job at their at their public entity to do that job. They were they were basically voluntold. Or all of a sudden they became responsible for risk, which makes them, while qualified to do the job they have, not necessarily have all the tools and skills to really step into that risk management role. Can you touch on some of the some of the things that 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 
person should should be considering but often go unaddressed during uh, a, a post-disaster? Of course. So one of the things I tell schools all the time is I have no idea how to educate kids, but I know how to rebuild schools so you have a place to do it. And I'm not going to pretend that I know how to run a public entity, and I don't expect that everyone who has the title of risk manager has been voluntold into that position or volunteered to take it for that nominal pay bump that may be associated has the background that we all do when it comes to insurance. We do this every day. This is our jobs. We spend a lot more time and get a lot more jazzed about it than some of us would like to admit. But when those positions become voluntold or volunteered, we notice that the focus doesn't tend to be on property. It tends to be on workers' comp and auto because those are the two where the most number of claims tend to happen from time to time. And those are also the ones that you hear about most commonly. Biggest piece of advice I can give somebody in that role to start, regardless of disaster or not, is don't forget about the property. We're here. Property is a huge, huge part. And it can also be one of your costliest. When you're in a dual role position, whether it's volunteered or voluntold, lean on the outside resources. People like the broker. People like an account adjuster. We are here. This is what we do every day. We eat, sleep, live, and breathe insurance. If you don't know, ask someone who does. Revere it. Go ahead and help. You're already paying for your premium, so that means you've got access to your agent, your broker, whomever it may be. And having an account adjuster or a team of account adjusters, frankly, is no cost to the public entity. It's paid for through the adjustment cost of a claim, whether that claim ever comes to fruition or not. So it doesn't hurt to lean on these there's no cost, and you're getting the benefit of the free information. However, if you're going to ask for the information, just be sure you're willing to listen to it. It may not necessarily be the response that you want to hear. It may not be the happy, shiny roses that you're looking for. It might be a hard conversation, whether it's before a disaster or after a disaster. But know that the conversation is happening because it's information that needs to be shared. Be ready to absorb it. Overall, as far as policies are concerned, whether it's disaster or daily, the single largest issue that I run into, and if you're going to focus on only one thing, please let it be this. Making sure your statement of values is correct. I can't mm. tell you how many times I've looked at an SOV and then I looked at the property in front of me after a claim, and then I went to a mayor, I went to a governor, I went to a superintendent and said, when's the last time somebody took a look at this? And without fail, I always get, well, oh, we looked at it, we looked at it this year, we look at it every year. We do that every time we renew the policy. And then I ask where a building is on there. Oh, that burned down 15 years ago. Oh, okay, so you looked at it, and you consciously chose to continue paying for insurance on a building that hasn't existed for the last 15 years. Or the future, sure. you have a new building that isn't covered under insurance. So, exactly. That's the housekeeping part. That's the housekeeping that needs to be done all the time, in it, no matter whether or not you have a, a disaster or not. But as we know, our risk managers, often that one is doing that dual job, 
they don't have all the time in the world or the resources, but that one key thing, having that statement of values updated, and, and to circle back to what you've said, use your resources. You need, use your resources to yep. support that. Just, just be sure that you know, A, that you still own the building, B, if it's not listed on there, that you add it, and C, what's it valued at? Because right now we're running into some massive pricing issues that the industry hasn't seen in about 40 years. So we're in kind of a whole new world for the crop of adjusters that are actually going to be handling claims and the crop of people who are acting as risk managers right now. What's the likelihood that you're – Sure. Can you elaborate so, a little bit on that? Like, I mean, post-pandemic or during the pandemic with supply chain issues and everything, I, I did notice that it was becoming much more difficult to, on the property side of the house, to to mitigate the costs and to manage property claims. So in 2019, getting to an agreed price, finding what a contractor was going to charge, finding a contractor for that matter, pretty easy. Work was out there. Materials were out there. As we all know, the pandemic caused a litany of issues with the supply chain that, honestly, we haven't seen in my lifetime. So taking a look at this from the overall property market, it's made the adjustment of claims a lot more difficult because the pinpoint of price that we get today is not going to be appropriate six months from now when the work actually happens. We're on the crux of getting into the winter season, which we know from the property perspective can cause a lot of issues with construction. For the most part, outside of the southern and the western part of the U.S., you're not getting a lot outside done until April, May at this point. And even if you go ahead and purchase your materials now, storing them and finding the labor that's willing to continue the job as contracted isn't where we were a few years ago. We've seen prices over the last three years fluctuate vastly. Typically speaking, the more touch points and the more people you have involved from the origin of whatever that material may be to the finished product, appliances obviously having much more touch points than something like lumber, usually indicates a substantial price increase over the last few years. Now that has to do with simply your supply chain issues. Bringing in the inflation capping out for the last, what, four decades, we're running into almost a perfect storm of issues when it comes to construction challenges. As we look at it, pricing is, I don't want to, I don't want to minimize it by saying pricing is difficult to go ahead and pinpoint, but at the end of the day, pricing is very difficult to go ahead and pinpoint. We can sit there and we can estimate until the cows come home, but When my team goes ahead and puts together an estimate, it's purely theoretical. When we bring in a contractor or when the entity poses a contractor to my team and myself, we take a look at this and we say, great, where do you think this is going to be in a couple weeks? Is this your locked and loaded price to be able to purchase that material? How is it in your warehouse now for the next six months? Because if not, we're going to be potentially ride with supplement through no fault of anyone's other than market fluctuation. We have noticed that some things are starting to come down a little bit, but overall substantially higher than where we were three years ago, and I don't see an end in sight. And and Meredith, just uh, to to pull this full circle, 
how does that that pricing trend and not seeing that how does that how does that have an impact then on our volunteered volunteered risk manager for a public entity who's trying to do all the right things get everything in place how are they then projecting the the insurance costs or what they're trying to do that what's the best approach for them given that there's so much fluctuation there and, you know, a disaster is unknown. You're trying to plan for that. Is there any piece of advice you have for them along those lines? So the positive thing about it is overall the industry has recognized that we're running into a massive pricing shortage. I mean massive pricing shortage as far as generalized square foots for reconstruction per building type. What's nice about that, as strained as what I'm about to say is, is that they're coming to a lot of the adjusting side and saying, listen, we want to work together. We want to know the information that y'all use on the back end to figure out what this actual reconstruction claim is. By knowing that my price at the end of the day may be $525 a square foot to rebuild a school, it's going to help the brokers put together with underwriting that $250 a square foot isn't going to cut it. At that point, mm-hmm. you'll be blowing your limits without batting an eye. And the last thing any one of us wants to see is the voluntold, volunteered, or simply unknowing taking it on the chin because they can't keep proper track of inflation. And so, again, it all comes back to, Meredith, everything I've learned from you and from our property team to work with our public entities and great risk managers and public entities, that uh, being prepared, having your team, internal and external, and practice, practice, practice uh, with, with what you're going to do in the event of a, a disaster that affects property is, is the most important thing that they can do. Yes, so, and I Jonathan, harp on that constantly. So, Jonathan, it's 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 truly I've it's been such a pleasure, and thank you for having both Meredith and myself here to 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 talk about um, public ed- agencies, property losses, and especially being prepared and what those public entity risk managers can do to be prepared in the event of a large property loss. Well, I you know. Now I'm worried about my job. It's like the AT&T commercial with Lily and LeBron. You guys came in so good. Um, but I think if we could sum up with one thing, maybe, Meredith, it's so tried and true, but what's the old saying? No one plans to fail. They fail to plan. And exactly. That's right. So sounds like everything you said today, obviously we, we need to, we need to plan. And that's what Sedgwick is here to do and Meredith and her team and, everyone. And so thank you both for sharing today. This is a incredibly great information. I hope uh, lots of people in the public entity uh, space will take a listen. Uh, we'll catch you on the next Sedgwick podcast.